Happy Father's Day. I want to share with you today um, about two men in Acts chapter 10. We're going to focus on one by the name of Cornelius. A, uh, Cornelius is a good Greek name, but this man was a, an officer in the Roman army, and his story, because of his courage and obedience, uh, this individual who was a seeker of God and a worshiper of God, and because of the apostle Peter, God spoke to both of them, and out of their obedience, the gospel came to Cornelius' home, his entire household, and ultimately to the Gentile world. And I want to share today uh, about his life and men and dads and those who lead their household. And I understand several are here today that there may not be a father that's in the, in the situation, or you might be the one that has the spiritual leadership in your home, but I, there's something that all of us can learn, and I believe God's going to use this in our lives today, of how that we can win hearts at home, win hearts at home. And so the first thing that I want to share with you uh, is just the background of this. Uh, Cornelius, as I mentioned, was a, a centurion. He had some wealth. He was known in the Jewish nation for his generosity. He was a seeker of God. And I want to encourage you, even if you are not a today yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't know the way, but your heart is to please God, your heart is to know God, that today you'll hear the message of salvation, of the good news that can come to your life just the way that it came to Cornelius and to his entire household. And as he was praying, worshiping God, an angel came to him and said, send some people and go get the, uh, it was Peter the Apostle, and he wasn't called Peter the Apostle by the angel, but go to a place in Joppa, and there you'll find a man by the name of Peter who is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. And so he got, he got two of his servants, a couple of his servants, and, and some of his inner circle soldiers. He sent them 30 miles away, and at the same time, Peter was on the rooftop. He was praying, and how many know that good things happen and God things happen to those who seek God? Yes. And as Peter was praying, uh, this sheet came down from heaven, and in this sheet were all of the, all kinds of foods that those who observed the Jewish law were not allowed to eat. And so there were things in there that were crab, like crabs would have been in there because they weren't permitted to eat that. Uh, baby back ribs, just let your imagination run wild. I'm, I know that uh, lunch is just about an hour time, so I'm going to curb this. But anyway, there was a whole bunch of things that came down from heaven. And, uh, and a voice from heaven said to Peter, uh, eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I can't eat these because these are unclean and I won't defile myself. He was, he was so zealous for God. And God spoke to him. He said, what I call clean, no longer call unclean. And so arise and eat. And what he was doing was preparing Peter's heart because at the same time, God has spoken to Cornelius, your prayers are going to be answered. You're going to find out more about me. Go, and he named him by name, Peter, go to this place, Simon by the sea. And so sure enough, what God was doing was preparing his heart to let him know that 
there should be no more separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. Can someone say amen? When Jesus died on the cross and he spread his arms, it was for the whole world. It was for everybody. And so they came and Peter goes to his house. Something happened that day because of the obedience of both of them. Not only was Cornelius' entire household saved and came into the kingdom of God, but because of that, the gospel moved from being primarily Jewish-centric or to the Jews first, that's what the scripture says, it now included the Gentiles and Antioch would come out of this, that great city of Antioch would become the second great city of the Christian movement. The, the, and it was primarily because of the obedience of these two individuals. So there's some things I want to share with you. There's four things I want to share today. First of all, this is how we can win the hearts of our home, how we can lead our homes, our families, our family members into the things of God and the ways of God so that God's blessing can be on our lives and we can know the liberating power and love that only comes from the source of love. The first is that Cornelius was described as a God worshiper. It was his first priority. And on the first day, there was a, there was a man in verse 1, his name was Cornelius, a centurion. And the Bible describes him this way in verse 2, he was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Guys, I want to talk with you from my heart, and that's this. There's two main objectives in life, and when we do that, everything else lines up and it adds credibility to our life. And we can say to our children, to our homes, those that we affect, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. And that is pleasing God, pleasing God, and raising our children in the ways and the admonition of the Lord so that they'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was a person of prayer who had intimacy with the Father. And because of that prayer and seeking and worshiping God, everything flowed from there. Another way of saying this is that when men, we must seek to be Christians first or God seekers first. If we love Jesus Christ more than mother or father or wife or sons or daughters, then they will be in fellowship with the source of all love. If they make if a man makes an idol out of any one of their family members, then they're out of fellowship with the source of all love, meaning that the idol is short-changed. Just let me jump off here for a moment. What God wants is for you and for me to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. That's, that's the first priority. When we make an idol or love people or things more than we love God, we, we get things out of order. So it's possible to make idols even of our children. It's possible to make idols of our loved ones, loving them without ever loving God. We do them a great disservice. But for instance, a man's wife receives far more love when God is the priority and he loves God first than she would 
if she were the main object of that person's love. How many hear what I'm saying? So you're loving an individual out of the love that you have with God, which is a pure love. It's an eternal love. A man's children will be fathered diligently when they are loved in the context of a much greater love. Now I want to illustrate something to you. How many you know all you know what this is, right? Yeah, I don't most all the boys that I know, at some time they want to go fishing. And uh, uh, I have I have we have six grandkids and I've taken three of the boys fishing, and I've taken my one granddaughter, whose motto is, much to her credit, uh, God bless her, whatever my boy cousins can do, I can do better. <laughs> so that's her deal. But as a, as a dad, and as a grandparent, I want my kids and grandparents to know God and to love God. I want them to be protected in this world. And so this is, this is just picture this. This is sort of like our kids right here. We're not trying to hook anybody, but we are trying to hook opportunity for them. How many know what I'm talking about? And a fisherman, you know, every fisherman has his secret spot. So we were on vacation this week, and I told my grandson, Jonathan, and he loves to fish. He's 10. I, he's here this morning. And I said, Jonathan, we weren't catching anyone, but neither was anyone else. It wasn't that we were that lousy. But I said, there's a secret spot. And I said, it's, and he kept bugging me, Papa, when are we going to go to the secret spot? And it is it's a secret spot. But there's a certain way. And so, and so I'm, the, I'm the parent, and that's my child. And I want him to get to the secret spot, and this rod is how I guide him. This is the methods. And so you just, I wanted to get there, but it's not there, okay? And I could try as much as I want, and I can go up and down and do this, but the chances of his getting there, if I'm not guiding them in the right way, are greatly dis, diminished, dis, dim, uh, diminished, diminished, okay? But I'm going to take out a secret weapon, of fishing, and how many know what this is? That's a bobber, and what's a bobber do? If bobber floats, well, we don't. if you're fishing, you don't want it to float all the time. You want it to go under the water, and what, what does that mean when it goes under the water? you got to bite. There you go. And by the way, if you're going to take your kids fishing, at least the first few times, take them someplace where there's lots of bluegill or something, and and because they like to catch, not just fish. And a lot of us, we're good at fishing, but not so good at catching. Okay, so, but what this bobber does, it, it floats. It lets you know what's going on under the water, but it also adds weight, okay? And this bobber represents, this bobber represents when, as a dad, I give myself to God. I'm a worshiper of God. It adds weight to my leadership. Now, I want this to go somewhere near back here by Alex Clifford, and I don't want him to touch it. But, but you see that? See the difference? Yes. That's the difference. This is my effort, but when I add God into the equation, something happens in my life that the weight of my leadership leads my children where it should go. 
And that's when we say, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Cornelius was a God worshiper. And so I say, I ask today, what does God want you to pray for in your family? How does God want you to lead? Is your life leading your children into the ways of Jesus Christ and into the good news of the gospel? The second thing was this. Cornelius took responsibility for his household. In verse 33, he declared to Peter after he came, we are all present before God to to hear you. The genuine mark of leadership is responsibility. And this is in your program notes this morning. The genuine mark of leadership is responsibility, not delegation. Every once in a while, I'll have someone say to me, well, I've delegated it to them, and if it doesn't work, well, hey, hey, I've washed my hands. No, how many know if you're the leader, you're responsible? No matter whom, to whom you've delegated things. In fact, responsibility can never be delegated. Take the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home, to lead the way about what is really important, about God, about your spouse, about the family, about that the church is the body of Jesus Christ, about a work ethic and respect and respect for authority and property and other people. And, and I want to encourage you this morning to lead the way, dads, in sanctifying Sundays. And you say, what do you mean, Pastor Paul? The, the Sunday in the Scripture is called the Lord's Day. And the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is the primary day that we gather together to worship God and the community of faith. And when we hear God's word and we worship by singing and we worship by fellowship and we worship by by, uh, serving one another, And there's something powerful, and there's a reason that the Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now look, I understand we go on vacations. I understand that. But even on vacations, I I think it's important that we do devotions on that Sunday that we're away from church. Is there an amen? All right, yeah. I understand there are occasions when we have to miss Sunday. But take the responsibility to sanctify Sundays as belonging to the Lord rather than a day that we do whatever we want and if there's nothing else going on that we really want to do, then we bring our kids to church on Sundays. Is there an amen? This, this is what happens. What you value, how do you know what you value? There's two ways, what you spend your money on and how you spend your time. If your time on Sundays is outside of the church when the community, the body of Christ is gathered to worship and you're doing that on a consistent basis or you're doing that, I want ask yourself a question. What are my children picking up from what really are my values when it comes to the Lord's Day? But if you say we're going to sanctify this day This is when we come together, and it had better be something really important, really necessary in life for us to miss. You will be surprised at what that does in their life, and as you direct them in life, 
It's as though you have weight on that line and you're throwing it out and they're following your lead. But when we say, well, if something else is important, or I don't feel like it, they pick up our values. And so take the responsibility for your own household. Often, or a, a wonderful quote that I read said this, authority flows to those who take responsibility. It's the foundation of all true authority. This means that reestablishing authority is accomplished when we take responsibility. Often a simple reassertion of authority is an attempt to evade taking responsibility. The point is reasserted so that someone else will do what needs doing. This is not only impotent, it is counterproductive. How many know that if you have to tell people you're the boss, that you're not really in charge? How many know that? Yeah. What are fathers called to? Fathers give, they protect, they bestow. Fathers yearn and long for the good of their children. Fathers delight, they sacrifice, they should be jovial and open-handed. Fathers create abundance, and if lean times come, they take the leanest portion themselves and create a sense of gratitude and abundance for the rest. Fathers love birthdays and Christmas because it provides them with yet another excuse to give some more to the kids. When fathers say no, as good fathers do from time to time, it is only because they are giving a more subtle gift one that is a bit more complicated than a cookie. And I'm talking about the kind of cookie you eat. You know what I'm talking about, not the other kind of cookie. Sometimes saying no is the greatest gift that you can give to your kids, or to your grandchildren, for that matter. Please don't make them an idol. Please, Johnny or Susie, you want to do whatever you want to do. We're going to make that possible. Please, as you give them the gift of saying no and guiding them in the right direction. They must also include among their gifts things like self-control and things like discipline and a work ethic. But they are giving these things, not taking something else away just for the sake of taking. Fathers are not looking for excuses to say no. Their default mode is not no, but one of abundance and one of blessing and guidance. And God calls each of us to do our part in the household, the whole household. So husbands love as Christ loved the church. But wives respect husbands and be subject to them. That, what, that means, what that means is to live in regards to them. Children obey for this is right. Let me, let me, uh, try, to ex- let me try to ex- explain this because whenever people hear wives be subject to your husbands, they think of no matter what he says or he's got a whip over me and so therefore I dismiss all of God's word. That's not what Paul the Apostle is talking about. Live in an understanding way. So my wife Chris and I, we were on vacation. We took our three grandchildren this week. And it went better than we expected because we just decided to have no expectations. So no matter what happened, it's got to be better than nothing. But it really turned out to be terrific. And one of the really great parts was that they all had to go home Friday at noontime, and Chris and I got to spend Friday afternoon and Friday night in the cottage by the sea. How good could that be? It's great, yeah. And, and so 
there was a campfire ring, and we build a campfire, and we're, we're out sitting. And one of the moms in this circle, there's 12 cottages there. It's right, 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 by, the, right by the salt water. It's really, really cool. And uh, she came up, and she started, to, she said to, uh, to Chris, and I guess she was talking with me, but I just, I just wanted to be focused on my wife, not someone else's problems. How many guys know what I'm talking about? All right, so she said, have any of you seen a scooter? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not taking this bait at all. So Chris said, no. She said, well, someone stole my 12-year-old scooter. Chris said, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe it in this, this area. You know, there's a campground, but I can't believe it. She said, yeah, we went out to eat at such and such a restaurant. We walked there. We came back, and, and my husband says they had to steal it because he saw my son ride the scooter back, and we put it right on the breezeway, and someone walked right up while we were in the house and took it. And Chris said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's unbelievable what people do today, yada, yada, yada. And so the lady left. About a half hour later, she comes up. I mean, she's like, her leg is swinging, and she's riding this scooter, this silver scooter. Chris said, you found it. She said, yes, I wrestled it away from some 12-year-old boy, right? (laughs) And I thought, that's something Chris would do. I didn't know there's anyone else would do that. You do remember when back in the day we didn't have a lot of money, you saved for extra special beach towels. We took them to Ocean City. We stayed at the end of the boardwalk. She hung them overnight, and she got up the next day, and with four daughters, they're all gone. And she marched down the beach, up and down, looking for the poor soul that would dare lay on her beach towel. I'm glad I didn't take them. (laughs) She said, no, that's not really what really happened. She said, are you sure to my husband? You sure? Yeah, yeah, I watched him. He wrote it home. She said, well, I'm going back there to check. She went back to the restaurant and to the bait and tackle shop, and guess where the scooter was? Their son left it there, right? And this is, her, this is what she said. I've been with these kids all week long, and my husband shows up one night and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> with that, she rode triumphantly back to the cottage, and Chris called after her, make sure you don't fall off. <laughs> but she said in a way she wasn't angry. It's an understanding way. Sometimes we get caught up in the if-onlys. If only my husband didn't do this, or if only my wife would do that, or we, we, one of you is always late, we won't say who that is, the other is always early, and, and we just think if only, and we look at our husbands or wives as though they're reclamation projects. How many know that that's not going to work? You mean none of you have learned that yet? (laughs) It's not going to work. Most of us are apparently consigned to mortals. Our partners are always late, or they're always 20 minutes early and insist that you be too. They never wash their own dishes unless they're constantly after you to clean up your own crap. They pick their nose in the kitchen. I will confess, neither Chris or I do that. (laughs) 
They forget to fill up the gas tank. That has happened a time or two. And have the nerve to complain when you buy the wrong brand of toothpaste. The key is to understand that they're not renovation projects. The worst part is that you cannot change them. A study by two psychologists in New Zealand found that when people tried to improve their relationships by changing their spouse, the romances actually got worse. In other words, nagging doesn't work. Can someone say amen to that? Boy, you you sound convinced of that. John Gottman refers to the problem as the if-onlys. If only she was a little better with money. If only she wouldn't buy so many clothes. If only he didn't spend so much time watching sports. The truth is you're arguing against reality, but the good news is God can change people as we pray, as we lead, as we do the right thing, and it begins on the inside. The third thing I want to share with you is that consistency gets God's attention. Verses 3 and 4, we can put them up on the screen. Sowing to the Spirit of God reaps a tremendous harvest in our homes and our children and also personally one of joy and hope in our lives. Consistently doing the right thing sows seeds for a breakthrough harvest in our life. You never know, you never know when the harvest is going to come. Devotion and serving. Man, the scripture says to leave and cleave. Our ambitions, our our ambitions personally, a man's ambitions must be converted the same way the rest of man is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A man who takes a woman to the altar is going to the altar to die himself. He's not going to get killed by his wife, but he's going to the altar to say, Lord, I'm here, I offer myself. You get that, yes, get that. And so, God, when we, when we are consistent in and content with God's will for our life, it becomes a wellspring of joy. It becomes a wellspring of hope and stability and safety for our homes and for our children. Paul the Apostle said, I am crushed, but I'm not destroyed. I'm cast down, but I'm not left desolate. His joy and contentment was not a perverse kind of denial like I can tough through this or a stiff upper lip all the time. It was a a contentment that whether he was well-fed or hungry, that there was a deep satisfaction for the will of God with the will of God for his life. This is bedrock stuff. This is foundational stuff. This is stuff that when our hearts at home don't go the way that we've directed, and even with God's help and the current of times keeps washing it away, that we're content with God's will and content to know that God is at work even when we can't be at work and it becomes the foundation of our life and we enter his joy and his hope for our family that we cannot save them by ourselves, but God alone is the Savior and he's working on our behalf. Can someone say amen? It's God. Be consistent. Do the right things. Lend weight to your leadership so that when you throw it out into the current, 
God's willing and partner with us, our children will follow along. I was... uh, There's the lyrics to a song called Watching You. How many have heard this song by Rodney Atkins? How many have heard this? Yeah. How many listen to country music? All right. Maybe we'll go to Cats in the Cradle. How many heard that years ago? The same type of message. Rodney Atkins, I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I could just see this guy in his pickup truck driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. How many can relate with that? Except the owners of Chick-fil-A. Where are the McFerrins this morning again? <laughs> I do like your Chick-fil-A nuggets, by the way. Any day. Sorry, anyone that owns a McDonald's franchise, but once you have that, there's no turning back. But anyway, okay. Um, Knowing that he can't have the meal till the nuggets are gone. A green light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. As fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well then, my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S. And I was concerned, so I said, Son, now where did you learn how to talk like that? He said... I've been watching you, Dad, and ain't that cool. I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. We got back home, and I went to the barn. I bowed my head, and I prayed real hard and said, Lord, please help me. Help my stupid self. How many can identify? Lord, help me help my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? Ain't that cool? May all of our kids and hearts at home say, isn't, ain't that cool? Isn't dad cool? We've been consistent. We've taken responsibility. We've loved God. We've worshiped God. Had the right priorities. The last thing I want to share with you is that Cornelius was courageous, courageous and obedient. Um, Terrell Suggs, that spiritual giant of the Ravens, said this week, there's an interview, and he's now in his 14th season of professional ball, and there's no one like T. Sizzle. And someone said, someone said, why do you do the things that you do, why do you act like you act? And they weren't complaining, he just, he's a different cat. And he said, because, he said, all the other names were taken, and I'm the only one they call Terrell Suggs, and so I'm going to be me. 
I want to encourage us, dads, don't settle for a second-rate version of someone else and their expectations. Our highest calling in life is not so our buddies will call us cool. It's so our children will call us cool. And it doesn't have to be verbalized, but you can see it in their eyes. You can see it later on this day when they give you gifts. There's just that look in, look in their eyes when you get the phone calls today or the cards. Cornelius's courage enabled the gospel to come to the entire Gentile world. But first, but first, God's Spirit fell on his entire household because of his courage to lead the way. I hear the term strength and honor. Strength and honor takes risk. It's willing to receive, to become the model of what God is calling you to do because there's only one version of you. We don't have to settle for being a second-rate version of what someone else wants or our buddies wants. Be willing to take the risk of leading your household into things that are eternal. Time, eternity, God, and our families will be the judge. But you and I can leave a wake of blessing. Praise his name. Amen. God is so good. My prayer for you today is that as you reach out to God, he will give you the courage to be what God has called you to be. And your children will call you blessed. And you'll lead them in the ways of God. And eternity will be better for them and for you because of it. Praise his name. Isn't God good? Praise his name. Amen. Praise God. Praise his name. I, I want to um, I'll just close with this. Our county has been besieged with a heroin epidemic. And uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago that in, in Baltimore City, uh, the murder rate, the violence rate is so high. And the number of people that are projected to die this year because of violence is something like one in 2,000. But if we keep up with the current rate, what we've done so far this year in Harford County, at the end of the year, do you know that in something like one in 3,000 people will die of a of an opioid, opioid overdose in Harford County. That's not far. That's not far from Baltimore City. And you know, people say, well, that's violence, and this is, no, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the proud moments that we had on a vacation is that we heard our grandkids talking about someone, about drugs, and going, ooh, no, you know, that's bad. In other words, somehow they've heard it, they've seen it, because, partly because of you and church, because what they've heard from us, what they've heard from their parents. And uh, I want to encourage you that you make all the difference in the world and that you can lead by the grace of God, not only your strength, by the grace of God. Praise his name. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray this morning. Before I pray for each one of you, I wonder how many of you would say, Pastor Paul, I'm just... Raising my hand, I'm a candidate for God to use me 
and give me courage and strength as a father and a head of my household. Would you lift your hands along with mine today? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Secondly, secondly, if you're here today and you've heard the message of good news that Jesus Christ came to give us life, he died on the cross, his arms were nailed open wide to include you, and you would say today, Lord, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to know you. I want to lead my children, my family, my life. I want to be what you've created me to be. God, I'm sorry I come back to you. Thank you for your forgiveness and love and joy. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Just raise it quickly wherever you are. Just raise it. I'll see it. We won't embarrass you. But you say, that's what I want today for my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for dads. I pray for households, those that lead households where there's a father that's not present. We thank you for your word that declares that you will be a father to the fatherless. And in the last days, you'll return the hearts of the fathers to their children. Lord, I pray for men, for young men who will be making life's choices and selection and mates. Lord, that we will be strong. We will be risk takers. We will take responsibility. And above all, Lord, we will be a worshiper of God. Lord, who loves you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul. I commend each one to you. I thank you for their lives, for their consistency. I thank you for your church and the blessing that has been to each one of us. And so today, Lord, we go. I ask that your grace would follow us, your sun would shine on us. It's in Jesus' strong name I pray these things. Amen. Amen.